All right. Are we ready? Here's a list. Yeah. Yeah, I'd hate to go off list lists. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we must have started because Dave's doing bad puns. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Claire. But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's this got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look at this. Off your landing of the week. We got, Did he say list or list? Yeah, I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Only my ear can tell for sure. <laughs> Off-field landing of the week uh, from uh, Washington County, Pennsylvania. What, what was this website? Oh, WPXI, the local TV station pilot, uh, brings plane. I'm going to be paraphrasing for a minute, and then we'll come to the punchline. Uh, pa- pilot brings plane safely down on Route 43. Brian Nicholson was proud that he landed his plane smoothly on Route 43 in Washington County. Broken. I'm paraphrasing now. Broken propeller caused Nicholson to make an emergency landing. This is back in August, apparently. Um, uh, quote. I landed to save my life, uh, my co-pilot's life, and to make sure I didn't hit or kill anybody else, he said. So he landed on a road. Um, He said, uh, I'm trying to skip over the punchline part here. Um, Anyways, good job. Uh, Congratulations. Uh, What is this? Is this a chief? Is that what that that airplane is? What is that airplane? I can't tell. Looks like a Stinson Voyager to me. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Okay. Stinson. High wing, tail dragger, um, looks like side-by-side seating. It's got a bigger engine than a champ. Yeah, big. uh, And it looks like it's got the bow and arrow on the tail. Yeah, it's got. Looks like it's got an arrow stripe on the on yeah. the fuselage there. But it sits the 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 fuselage sits rather low to the ground. That's what tells me it's a Stinson. As uh, a tail number there. It's too bad we don't have some way. Of, I know it really is nine seven zero four eight zero four eight. You're probably faster than me, Jeb. Here. No, I'm going to let you do it. Okay, here. Wait a minute. Unfortunately, nine four zero nine seven zero four eight is also a zip code. So let's clarify this. Put, a, put an put an no, no, in front of it. I got the end. I did add the end. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a Stinson one hundred eight. It's a nineteen forty six Universal Stinson one hundred eight dash one, and uh, it's got a uh, Franklin six A four one fifty series engine. Yeah, that's what it was born with. And oh. You don't think that's what that's that's what the registration information on flightaware.com is saying. Yeah, so, uh, go out and Google me a, a Franklin engine. See if you, how many see how many I can buy today right now. Me? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, they yeah. were back in production a few years ago. Are they really? No, they were. I, I don't. I'm were. not sure they are anymore. They were being made, I believe, in the Czech Republic. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know a local guy here that built a, an airplane, put a, a new Franklin in it. <laughs> Uh, it was a believe it was an opposed six. Yeah, I, I, yeah, okay. Look, there's a whole website, FranklinEngines.com. Um, okay, well, I, I stand corrected. I, I, I knew I'm, I've known for for you know that they were out of production for years. Uh, oh yeah, I knew, I knew at the yeah I knew at the same time you could get parts for them. But getting a new engine or, or even an overhaul um, isn't, you know, getting an overhaul on a, on a Franklin is not for the faint of heart, I would not, I would not no. think. I think it's cheaper to buy a new one. Well, I don't know. Well, yeah, but where can you get a new one, duh? Where can you, seriously, where can, you, can you buy a new Franklin engine? A new one? I don't know. Well, David? You, could if, you could a few years ago. I'm looking to see. Let's see. Can you buy new ones? Up, uh, they got. 
eBay only produces one. There's all kinds of Franklin engine hits, but only Franklin one of, Aircraft Engines Inc. Uh, they have a uh, 235 horse four cylinder, a 350 horse six cylinder. Uh, these are new engines. Yeah. Yeah, okay. okay. All right. Anyways, getting back to this off-field landing of the week. Um, so Brian Nicholson landed his airplane uh, on the highway after the propeller broke <laughs> and uh, uh, apparently landed somewhere near some sort of construction that was happening. And that resulted in the uh, the, the local uh, officials having to, I don't know whether they, whether they were workers on site or whether they scrambled some workers to kind of keep an eye on things. The upshot of all this is that, that when he finally uh, kind of got uh, this is the pilot when Brian Nich- Nicholson um, got his airplane. You know, kind of. I don't know if he actually took off from there or whether he fra- created. Yeah. Oh no, they had to tow him. They take it. They took it apart. So they got his airplane out of there. Um, after paying a thousand dollars to get his airplane taken apart and transported, the the state or the government gave him a bill for three thousand dollars twenty nine twenty nine hundred ninety three dollars mm-hmm. for overtime costs for the highway workers. All right. And uh, I don't know. Is this normal? I mean, maybe maybe all these people who are landing on public property are getting a bill. I've not heard of this before. I've not heard I've of been, this before either. I've been on the scene of one of these where uh, a local law enforcement and a, and a local FISDO guy uh, were on the scene in the course of their normal jobs uh, in, 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 in public safety interests. That's what they told me at the time uh, so that a guy could get his – alternator wired back up so that it charged and take off from the same road he'd been forced to land on earlier. Well, keep, keep in mind here that um, this was apparently the Pennsylvania Turnpike as, yeah. opposed, as opposed to an interstate highway or a state highway or a federal highway. So it wasn't technically a public thoroughfare, I don't well, think. I don't know what the legal status of, of the Pennsylvania Turnpike I'm is. I'm pretty sure the Pennsylvania Turnpike is an interstate highway. I think it's uh, interstate. Well, it, Okay, let's... Yeah, it is I-70 through there. I think it's I-70, yeah. Uh, That don't mean a thing. That don't mean a thing. I used to drive it from uh, Washington to Indiana, and uh, uh, it was the stretch of the trip where you you absolutely positively didn't want to get pulled over for speeding. Yeah. Um, So the parts of the story that I was skipping around earlier, um, uh, Nicholson uh, was quoted as saying, I landed to save my life, my co-pilot's life, and to make sure I didn't hit or kill anybody else. Nicholson said he fears a decision by the turnpike to charge him for landing will send the wrong message to other pilots. Quote, as a pilot, I was taught once you make a decision, you stick with it, uh, stick with that, or people die. We made the decision that it was the only safe place to land, he said. Uh, Nicholson was billed twenty nine ninety three dot thirty four uh, for overtime costs for highway workers who were on the scene all day waiting for the plane to be towed. I thought it was a slap in the face. Nicholson said they're going to charge me nine dollars and fifty cents per hour per person. They held me there. They said the plane is our property until you get it to a safe place. He said seriously. That's what the article says. Uh, Nicholson said he already paid a thousand dollars of the plane taken apart and towed before getting the bill for almost three thousand dollars. I had a propeller there. I had a mechanic there. I could have been in and out all of that area in fifteen minutes. He said. Um, And then there's a statement from the Turnpike Authority. They said, uh, the commission has a duty to provide a safe roadway for customers. It's a long statement. I don't want to read the whole thing. It's it's word salad. Oh, I can can boil it down to three words. What's that? C-Y-A. Yeah, maybe, huh? They... uh, 
So you I mean you know like if you're if you get in a car accident on a public road and yeah. and yeah. according and, to them this is SOP according to the Turnpike yeah. Authority they would charge the people in an accident if they had to have emergency crews hang around for until they were towed away or something. Yeah. So, so uh, well, okay, let's let's presume that, bites, that yeah. yeah, let's presume that we're in, in an automobile accident and no one is injured, thankfully, um, but traffic is tied up. Um, turnpike employees uh, are forced to um, uh, work overtime, shall we say, um, and the turnpike decides that it wants to bill me for that expense. Okay. Would not my insurance cover that? My auto insurance? Uh, interesting question. Don't know. And would In some not instances, yes. Would not, therefore, um, the uh, aircraft insurance cover this? That's uh, an interesting question because the aircraft wasn't damaged in landing, right. so well, there would be a claim for damage. I'm not. I'm not in a position to drag out my policy right now, but there is um, <laughs> verbiage in it, or in, in, in policies I've had in the past. You know, let's put it that way. That basically says, you know, if I crash land on someone else's property and and do damage to that property, the insurance company will. Uh, cover that right. that um, that damage. Compre- what they call it? Comprehensive. Well, for for automobiles, they call it comprehensive. Okay, yeah. Uh, I don't know what they call it for aircraft. Well, that's so li- a liability coverage. Yeah, it probably would just be li- pure liability. So I suspect that um, if this guy, you know, had decent insurance on the airplane, that he might have been covered for this. I don't know. Well, I, I we, just never heard of this before. That's why I put it on the list. Yeah, we no. had we had a rider. For both the airplanes we owned on, on our haul insurance policy, well, on our insurance policy, you know, we had liability, we had all, and it was a company airplane. So, you know, the company paid the insurance to protect the company. But one of the things was a little additional rider. I think it cost us eight or ten bucks a year on top of the other coverages that we purchased, like hangar liability and stuff like that. Uh, covered us for $5,000 to disassemble and remove the airplane mm-hmm. in the event that we had to make a forced landing somewhere and didn't do damage to the airplane that would otherwise uh, invoke a damage claim. Right. And when they explained this to me, they say, okay, propeller brakes, fuel pump brakes, you got to make a dead stick. You do a beautiful dead stick and you walk away and there's not a mark on it. All you need to do is get the airplane someplace to where it can be fixed, mm-hmm. but you can't take it off from there necessarily. How do you get it there? That's well, right. probably take the wings off and put it on a truck. Exactly. We don't cover that if there's not hull damage. Mm-hmm. Oh, sign me up for that extra ten bucks every mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not I sure I have that, that or not, apply. but yeah, yeah. yeah. I believe um, that at least that thousand bucks he had to pay would apply here, if not the whole four thousand bucks that he's being charged. Mm-hmm. And I'd still want to fight with a turnpike authority over three of it. Oh yeah, I'd I'd, I'd still be annoyed with turnpike people. That's yeah. just that's yeah. just so, not. Anyway, hey, congratulations to Brian Nicholson for uh, getting his airplane on the ground safely when his propeller broke. Um, the three thousand dollar thing kind of sucks, but uh, you know I don't know what to say. <laughs> it does suck. Talk to your insurance. Should, well, we should start a kick, Kickstarter thing, you know, or take up a collection to to pay the three thousand dollars for this guy, or I don't know what. Mm-hmm. But, uh, mm-hmm. um, 
anyways, we're, we're, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll dig into this and find out if he actually had to pay the $3,000. But uh, um, he did a good job, and he's got a beautiful airplane. And uh, Yeah, all the above. Yeah, nice stuff. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, on that note, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack no. Yeah, really, truly, yeah. After all these years, you'd think. Um, I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm coming to you from UCAP World Headquarters in uh, scenic Epping, New Hampshire, and uh, I'm here with my two good friends. Uh, Jeb Burnside's here, talking to us from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How are you doing, Jeb? I'm fine, but it's going to be a long time before I'm on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Yeah, well, yeah. Sadly, it probably won't be that long before I, before I am, but... Yeah. Uh, no, I'm good. Um, uh, winter has come to Florida. Okay, here we go. All right. <laughs> 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 it's um, go ahead i'm making that little that little violin thing with my fingers go ahead jeb it, it was like 60 something overnight oh. and it's like 74 now and i, I hate I, it when that happens i yeah. have to wear long sleeve shirts now <laughs> does that so, mean you wear socks with your sandals now yeah yeah uh, um now i'm i'm actually i don't want to give anybody the impression that i'm the type that wears socks with sandals <laughs> very um, good um, um but uh, i am wearing a long sleeve shirt even though the sleeves are kind of pulled up a little bit right now and and uh um um i gotta start you know pulling in firewood and getting it all nestled outside the door and all that kind of thing so uh-huh. um those of you who who are hearing my voice and uh uh, are dealing with uh, winter in, in far-flung places or places that are flung further than I can fling, uh, I feel for you. Yeah, I know. Speaking of which, uh, Dave Higdon is uh, <laughs> talking to us from Wichita, Kansas, where, I don't know, I haven't looked at the map. Are you, you guys got a blizzard coming, don't you, David? Well, part of part of Kansas did, not my part of Kansas. Uh, hello, everybody out there. Winter, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Hi, all. Dave. How are you doing? Uh, but about three days ago, now this is Monday, so I guess that would have made it Friday yeah. at about 11.20 in the morning, we had snow flurries. Uh-huh. Yeah. We had so many snow flurries that I had a little rail of snow in the windshield wipers of the vehicle. And I went, and it all went away. Oh, okay. So, no, and then I'm it s- snowed again later. And yeah. And it all went away. So no, we've gotten nothing. Uh, okay. So this line that uh, that went through what Texas or, or or Oklahoma or something like that has already passed through, and it wasn't snow for you, right? It's uh, no, it wasn't. Uh, we we didn't even get real any real precip out of it. We're just on the wrong side or the right side of the line, depending mm-hmm. on how much you like that kind of stuff. I don't mind it all that much. Uh, all wheel drive vehicle, good tires for snow. Uh, and close to the grocery store, so yeah, okay. Well, yeah, we're supposed to get rain tonight. I just got a and a weather uh, forecast update on my email. Um, lows in the upper sixties near the coast, yeah, and in okay. the mid sixties inland. Uh, chance of rain forty percent. So yeah, well, this is this whole line. This is a long line that stretches all the way from the Gulf of Mexico to Canada and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And depending on where you are, north southwise on that line is whether it's snow or rain or something in between, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, it, yeah, it still hadn't cleared up here, but I expected it probably will by Wednesday morning. Yeah, we'll see sunshine again, and then get set up for the next railroad tearing to come through. Yeah, yeah. now now Wednesday they're advertising down here. Yeah, are, are you are you holding on to your your um, long underwear? Go ahead. 
lows in the mid 40s well actually near the coast <laughs> and in the lower 40s inland yeah with with no, 10 mile an hour winds yeah no okay i'll buy that i mean i mean I, you know although i'd take that in a heartbeat up here in new hampshire i i do understand that that's a big deal down there that's a Florida. big deal down here yeah I'm, I'm flying the next day so i'm gonna have to put the airplane on its preheater yeah, well, we, okay. We actually had to go so far as to hook up the heated dog dish for the outside kennel for the, those brief moments when we'll leave her outside. Heated, we heated dog dish? Yes. Yeah, uh, Seriously? Well, it, it was uh, – we've had a couple of overnight lows down around 21, 22 already. So uh, – and not get to freezing the next day. So Back when I had an it, outside It's dog. winter. Yeah, back when I had an outside dog, the the dog had to lick the ice to get its liquid. Yeah, and it, and yeah, both uphill both ways. Right? Uphill both ways. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. It's enough weather talk. We, we, we're not ready to put the skis on the airplane yet. I'll put all it right. that way. So here's a story that I I this this came out of nowhere for me. Um, I. I, I missed, came out of nowhere for everybody. Well, came out see, of nowhere for everybody. Did it yeah. really? All right. So I never heard the announcement that started this whole thing. What I heard was the complaints from like AOPA and, and other alphabet organizations. Right? I didn't hear any announcement either. I, you know, they, 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 the, oh, okay. The, the, the federal air surgeon did not call me up and say, hey, by the way, I want to do this. Well, you think it's a good idea? Yeah. And, but, and there wasn't an FAA press release or anything like that. There wasn't. That's interesting. It, 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 so it what are we in an article. What are we talking about here? So what, let's, let's go back a step. Let's Forget about the complaints for a second. What does the FAA want to do? Who wants to summarize this? Um, the FAA wants to um, establish a new criterion um, for FAA medical certificates, which would screen applicants for obstructive sleep apnea if, A, they have a body mass index of greater than 40 or B, a neck circumference of 17 or more inches. That is my understanding okay. of, 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 that, of that's, what... That's it. Yeah. And, and, and that's an initial... Those are initial numbers. They would ratchet down at least the BMI value over time, over the near term. And what is it that they think the sleep apnea does to affect pilot performance? That's a good question. I, I, I have to confess, I don't, and I'm certainly willing to be educated, and, and I'm sure our listeners out there will, will chime in and do so. I'm still kind of all fuzzy on this whole sleep apnea thing and whether or not it's really a deal. So I'll uh-huh. just well, put, that, put that out there. there there's, a, there's a train that it, 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 it all came in on and it started with an NTSB accident investigation asking the FAA to look into the effects of sleep apnea on pilot fatigue in professional flight crews where an incident had occurred or an accident had happened where the NTSB felt like fatigue uh, was a contributing factor. And they, they kind of jumped up and down about the sleep apnea thing because it's not uncommon in today's society, and it's particularly not uncommon in people that are uh, more than a little bit overweight. So sleep apnea has been identified as a contributing factor uh, in fatigue issues uh, with people diagnosed with chronic fatigue where it's contributed to some problem with their job. And it, fatigue has shown up as a problem uh, for some pilots who are flying uh, uh, a lot of uh, not real long distance, high-frequency days. 
Uh, they put in really long days to fly a few hours to get the maximum duty day sometimes before they run out of flight hours. Right. Then they go to a strange motel or hotel. They get about five or six hours of sleep. Somehow in there, they get up. They get picked up by the crew van the next morning. They go off and do it again. And sometimes they'll do this for four or five, six days before they get some time off. Uh, how are they making the leap to applying this to A, all pilots is one of the mysteries of this. How this is not subject to the Administrative Procedures Act is an entirely, as, as a rulemaking for an entirely new category of medical uh, uh, disqualification uh, is what got everybody up in arms. Uh, it's like there's really no accident statistical justification for the FAA's surgeon, uh, top surgeon to be advocating this kind of change. Yeah. Yeah. Jeb, you see, yeah, go, go ahead, ahead, Jeb. Um, I, what I was, th- what I was saying is, is I, 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 you know, I, the whole obstructive sleep apnea thing um, uh, strikes me as, as uh, um, kind of a little bit of voodoo science here. And, and I know, again, I'm willing to be educated, but I haven't been. And uh, uh, every time I, I hear this, I just kind of roll my eyes. Um, people snore. Okay. Um, women snore, men snore, and uh, um, somewhere along the line, it was determined that snoring is hazardous to your health, um, at least in, in extreme situations. And in obstructive sleep apnea, apnea became the diagnosis. Um, now comes you know the federal air surgeon saying that he's going to start making, he wants to start making this a uh, um, a, a, a an additional. Um, um, test or an additional uh, uh, thing that t- they would screen for in in, in a medical exam. Um, there's to, to, to all the information that I've seen from AOPA, EAA, even NBAA now. Um, there's never been a uh, an aviation accident that has been tied to or blamed on um, sleep apnea. Yeah. Okay. There have been there was an incident. Excuse me. An incident uh, three or four years ago now, that, uh, maybe even longer than that. And this involves a um, I, I forget the name of the carrier. I don't know. It was a Hawaiian operation out of Honolulu to Maui or something like that. I don't remember the the exact details. Uh, RJ, I believe it was. Uh, both pilots fell asleep. Okay, yep. and overflew their right. destination. Yeah, uh, uh, somehow awoken, uh, awakened, turned around, landed. Everybody's fine. Okay, uh, this is not the first time that both pilots, that a pilot has fallen asleep in, a, in an airline cockpit. It's not the first time both pilots yeah. have fallen asleep in an airline cockpit. But it's apparently what's being used. And, and apparently there was an NTSB investigation, and the NTSB came out and said, oh, by the way, you might want to do this. And now they're trying to do this without any justification whatsoever. Not only, not only is that an issue, but what, the, um, what would be called for here is a, a sleep study, a sleep apnea study that I'm reliably informed is not cheap. It costs around maybe two grand. Right. I mean, for to, an individual, do, you mean? For an individual. Yeah. Okay, to do this. And my only question is, 
um, who recently bought stock in a medical device company? Yeah. I, I, yeah, that, that's, that's one of the real rubs here is that if you have this body mass index, which and I'm going to post you a link to where you can plug it in, plug your height and weight in and get what your body mass index is. Uh, no, but, it's scary. I don't want to know. <laughs> Go ahead, David. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to know to see where I stacked up with their 40. Yeah, and 40 apparently is incredibly ob- obese. 40 is incredibly obese. Yeah, you got to be really, really heavy to trigger this. Uh, under 40, uh, down where I am, I, cal- I, I calculated out at 32. And I need to lose 12 more pounds to get it under 30, which is the trigger that the National Institutes of Health and a lot of physicians say is the trigger for being labeled obese, a body mass index above 30. So it's like, oh, okay, Uh Bite me. Uh, in the meantime, <laughs> yeah, extra juicy too. Yeah, yeah. In, in the meantime, uh, just just a body mass index. They're going to require you to see a sleep specialist, uh, even though you may not have any clinical or diagnostic uh, uh, evidence of suffering from obstructive sleep apnea. You may not even snore. Uh, there's a little bit of arbitrariness to some of this, and some of it's based on real research. Yeah. No, but they, nothing this guy's proposing is based on anything that he's told us or told anything. He just mentioned it in a magazine article. Right, right. I mean, uh, let me let me just. I was going to say, let me weigh in on this for a second here. I apologize. Um, so, well, you, can you scale, get that I, close to the counter? Uh, yeah. So, um, I. I you know, I, I don't have much more of a professional understanding of it than, than either of you, Jeb. You were you know, saying you don't know an awful lot about sleep apnea. Um, what I have read, though, sleep apnea is a pretty serious deal. Um, and, and, it, and if you have this kind of condition, it can cause some real serious medical side effects. But the side effects I've always heard about didn't have much to do with fatigue. They had right. to do with things right. like heart disease or heart, you know, problems and, and coronary problems. Well, that is heart problems, but, but vascular problems and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, which it also I, plays hell on your sleep patterns. Yeah, and and but and, and so, you know, sleep it, it, apnea it is a big wakes, deal. Sleep, it wakes people up. Yeah, right. Sleep apnea is a big deal, and I and, and mm-hmm. I, I I personally am not poo pooing the fact that that anybody's paying attention to sleep apnea. I just don't see any any evidence that says that it, it's, you know, a cause of a, of an aviation accident. And, well, and, what what would what, given what you just said, and and, and I'm taking that at face value, um, the FAA medical people would then say, well, uh, if you have sleep apnea, then you are at risk for cardiovascular issues, et cetera, et cetera, and therefore you are at greater risk in the cockpit. Uh, yeah. Uh, sure. For having a heart attack or, yeah. or, or, or you know, uh, maybe a stroke or something like that. So whether or um, not there's any foundation behind this, um, it seems that FAA has been a little bit cavalier about the way they've rolled this out, right? I mean, it's yeah. just like no, well, the, the I, normal I, process seems to have been jumped. Go ahead, Jeb. Yeah, what 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 I'm hearing also in the, in this conversation right now is that uh, uh, the federal air surgeon put something to the effect of he wanted to do this into uh, an article he wrote for there's a monthly or bi-monthly magazine that goes out to all the AMEs uh, and he put he apparently put something in there that's a far cry from uh, a new policy but um, uh, the, the, the alphabet soup is correct in jumping on it and opposing it 
uh, vociferously because it doesn't make much sense. Yeah, who um, if if we think this is pre premature, who who do we express our to? I don't think it's I don't think it's premature at all to express uh, concern, opposition, or support if you support this. To who? Um, to uh, your elected officials, unfortunately. Um, to um, you know, write write Huerta, write write him an Instagram. You know, um, maybe not sign. You know, maybe not put your well, real name and your certificate number on it. But. Well, okay, <laughs> all right, and, and then write a nice, polite letter to the administrator of the FAA, yeah. the Secretary of Transportation. Right. Uh, and like Jeb said, your lawmakers. There's already been a bill introduced in the exactly. House exactly. to force. The FAA, the uh, uh, the top surgeon at the least, to follow the normal procedure for proposing new regulations, right. which should be what's laid out in the Administrative Procedures Act. Everybody on the Fed knows how it works because you can't do anything without following it, although you can try. Yeah. Okay. But there isn't – we don't have the formal kind of uh, comment period kind of thing going on right now, right? No that's one of the complaints. Right. The, the, exactly. So they can't right. – my point is that that's not the way to you – know, normally that would be the way we would direct people to express their opinion. But. Well, and, and tell, them, tell them to support H.R. 3578, which is the bill that's been introduced in the House of Representatives to um, um, ensure, quote, that any new or revised requirement providing for the screening, testing, or treatment of an airman is adopted pursuant to a rulemaking proceeding. There we go. Okay, good. And I kind of thought – you know, maybe I'm I'm wrong, but um, yeah, I guess I'm. Yeah, I was, I was thinking that maybe there was some pilots' bill of rights hook, but um, that there would not be on this case. So at least we now we have you know pilots' bill of rights too, electric boogaloo coming soon. Um, um, <laughs> There's even an update in the works. Yeah, yeah. So hey. They oh well, that's another we subject. Know the, we don't know how the yeah. new one worked completely yet, but we're yeah, learning. Well, there, there's that, but uh, you know there, there, we must have technical corrections. Yeah. And now, friends, here's today's word. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But I bet you knew that. I, I don't know how to get into this story. This is like... Uh, is it the right size? <laughs> it's like... Um, Do you need to, does it need to lose weight? The... Uh, What's its body mass index? So this big cargo is it, is it sleeping okay. This big cargo aircraft was lined up to land at uh, where were they supposed to land? At the Air Force Base, right? McConnell, McConnell Air Force Base. McConnell Air Force Base near Wichita, Dave's stomping grounds. Um, and they were even apparently talking to the tower, and uh, and uh, they were talking to McConnell Tower. Well, that's what I mean. They were got talking handed off from uh, yeah. approach over at uh, Mid Continent, and then talking to McConnell. And and did they in fact get cleared to land? They did, and they landed, and they landed. <laughs> but they landed the nine problem, miles short. The problem is they didn't land at the right airport. All right, they landed nine miles short. Did they, was there a conversation along the lines? I didn't actually see this this transcript. Was the conversation somewhere along the lines of uh, you know you're clearing to land, and then the and the airport aircraft commander said, well we're already landed, and uh, that, that's kind of along the lines of the conversation. 
And the voice coming from control said, so well, did you land at McConnell? Uh, well, I think so. Well, oh, did you land? No, you're not at McConnell. Uh, did you land at Beach? Well, maybe. Maybe we landed at Beach, which is between McConnell and Jabara. Yeah. It's just about a, 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 a quarter of a mile west of being directly in line with the other two. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. We just found out we've landed at Jabera. Oh. 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 Well, that's a trick. Yeah. So let's go back up a step here. First of all, one of you guys described this airplane for me. What is it? It's a dream lifter. It's called a dream lifter. Yeah. It's, take, take your basic uh, 747. Um, I don't know if this is a 300 or two. It doesn't have winglets, so it's not a... I think it was. I think it started life as a 400, but it's been highly modified. Okay? Yeah, right. And then you then you go, you know, walk back from the cockpit through the upper uh, uh, lounge area thing there, and then like inflate it. Right. Uh, yeah. Put, just... put, put, put a big balloon uh, in the rest of the fuselage, mm-hmm. aft almost to the for the vertical stabilizer. Yep. And um, and then you then you get out your sawzall. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know where you saw. I guess you saw at the tail. I don't know. Yeah, that's but, my question. It must yeah. hinge open at some place. Yeah, right? it, it does sure. in the back. In the yeah. back. Okay. Yeah. It hinges open in the back, and get your saws all out, and and a couple of uh, Home Depot hinges, mm-hmm. and uh, cut the tail off. Hinge then, it. Put in some and pop rivets, and and hinge it. Put in a pop rivet. Put a put some kind of latch or something like that to keep it all together when it flies. Yeah. And uh, boom, you got a Dreamlifter. Yep. And what is what is it we carry in the Dreamlifter? We're carrying other airplanes. Uh, well, parts of or other airplanes. parts of other airplanes. Yeah, we're actually literally all joking aside carrying carrying components of the seven eighty seven Dreamliner. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, David, tell us why do they bring these parts to Wichita? What what happens to them in Wichita at McConnell? Well, McConnell uh, Air Force Base uh, has three runways, two big parallels, and the Air Force Base is basically all located on the east side of the runway complex. On the west side of the runway complex is what has been for decades Boeing Wichita and Boeing military airplanes. I see. Okay. And the company now called Spirit Aerosystems, Mm -hmm. uh, that is the old Boeing Wichita commercial, they build parts for all of Boeing's airplanes from the uh, 3.7 up to the 8.7. Uh, and the Dreamlifter comes – oh, they also build uh, uh, nacelles and struts for most of the models, including the Dreamlifter or the Dream uh, the Dreamliner. Get it straight. So the Dreamlifters, there are four of them, come into Wichita pretty regularly to pick up the Section 41. That's the cockpit section. Uh, which is built intact with the avionics already installed. They stow that. Uh, they can stop down in, uh, in Oklahoma and pick up other parts. Uh, they bring parts from Europe and from Asia that all go into it, and they deliver them either to Seattle or to South Carolina, where Boeing assembles the Dreamliners. Uh, and the whole back end of this airplane hinges open basically pivots right. to the left and they load all those parts on there well in this particular instance the Dreamlifter was coming into town to drop off some parts to be stored here locally until they're needed for uh, the assembly process later on and then they'd be taken to wherever it's going to go 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, the runway at uh, McConnell that they were they, they had intended to land on is what? That would be like, uh, I'm looking at the air nav information for McConnell right now, 12,000-foot runway? It, just a shade over 12. 12,000 by 150 feet, all right? Right. Now, now let's see Jabara <laughs> air nav. And Jabara has Colonel James Jabara Airport, Kilo Alpha. The denominator would be two. Uh, Yeah, right. So I don't know which one. What one did they actually think? Oh, there's only one runway at at Jabara? Only one. 6,100 feet by 100 feet wide. Is that 6,100 or 6,001? 6,101 is what it says here. 6,101, okay. Yeah. By 100. Yeah, by 100. So it's and, uh, and what's the weather dimensions at McConnell? 12,000 by 150 according to okay. Airnav. Okay. I can I can see where the the, the narrower runway at Jabara from a distance look, would look exactly like Yeah. The the, um, the the multiples are close. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So um this guy landed the uh, the uh, Dreamlifter on the sixty one hundred foot by one hundred foot uh, runway uh, without incident. Apparently, I mean he he. That's the other thing here. You know, they did a good job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just did it at the wrong location. Yeah, so uh, it's on the ground and everybody's like freaking out and uh, and then there's the whole question about whether or not sixty one hundred feet is long enough. Someone I saw something. Someone on the internet said that fully loaded this aircraft requires like eight thousand feet or six seven thousand feet or something like that. But um, so, and I thought, okay, well, you know, what's the big deal here? They just like aggressively unload this. I didn't realize when I first heard this story that they had like aircraft components in it. I thought it was like full of freight or something, you know, um, you know, it was like a FedEx flight. It it was relatively light. It had just flown in from New York City, uh, where I believe they changed crew on the flight from Italy. Uh, Atlas Air is based in New York, and that's who operates those airplanes for Boeing. So the airplane was relatively light, but let's go into the issues here. First off, the, uh, the touchdown zone on 3-6, on, on which is the direction that – I'm sorry, on 1-8, the direction they landed to the south, uh, is about 800 to 1,000 feet down the runway. If they lined up with the ILS, which is what they typically do going into airports like that, they would have touched down with a little over 5,000 feet remaining. And even light, you're still talking about a 650,000-pound airplane. Yeah. On a runway rated for about 80. Uh, So they got in and out without damaging the runway. They touched down gently, but they left some long skid marks. Did they? Seriously? Yeah, the south third of the the runway uh, has, uh, has... uh, skid marks for trucks like only a 747 has. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that that brings me to my next question, David. So did you actually get out there to eyeball any of this stuff? I, I was unable to. I, I was kind of immersed in uh, in helping take care of some travel for someone and could not escape when I first heard about it. And by the time I was free to go, they had closed down access to the streets and roads surrounding Jabar Airport because of saturation of cars and people and rubberneckers. Yeah. Like it was on all the radio stations, guys. It made national news. It was on the local news, like wall to wall. At one point, they closed down a stretch of uh, Kansas Highway 96 that passes within about 200 yards. 
of where the engine exhausts were sitting uh, out of fear that a semi-truck or some other stuff might get blown over mm-hmm. or be blinded by the debris that you're going to get right. when you've got four high-bypass turbofans generating probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 350,000 pounds of total thrust, all spooling up for what's going to be a really short-field takeoff. Yeah, really. Now, before we get to the takeoff, so as it turns out, though, you didn't need to go there to eyeball it, right? I mean, you were telling us it was on TV. Oh, it was on TV. All, the, all of our local channels had it, all four of them, uh, ABC, NBC, CBS, and the Fox affiliate all had a crew out there. Uh, some of them were cutting into regular programming with it. Uh, a couple of them extended their new news to cover the takeoff and the departure live. They had another. They all had crews at McConnell Air Force Base, nine miles and nineteen minutes away, to mm-hmm. wait for its arrival. And they had a, 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 a huge crowd along South Oliver and at the south end of McConnell Air Force Base on I think it's Forty Seventh Street, uh, waiting for that puppy to to come in from all the way from Jabara, which we were breathlessly told they had just enough fuel to make it from Jabara to McConnell. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's my next question. So what did they do? They they, they didn't unload the, the cargo. Um, oh, no, they had nothing to unload it with, dude. There's no facilities there for t- handling okay. that stuff. Yeah. yeah. But Matter of fact, they had to truck in from uh, McConnell uh, ground support equipment just to move it. Yeah, just to tow the, a tug to move the aircraft around. Yeah. Yeah, well, it had to get towed from one end to the other and turned around. Right. Well, it didn't have to get towed from one end. It was already at the right end. <laughs> but it had, it, had, it had to get pulled forward and backed up and jockeyed around. I mean, yeah. those, those are big trucks. That's only a 100-foot-wide runway. Yeah, no, okay. So, and, and actually, the more I think about this now, as I hear it described, I guess this – is it the case well, – this cargo was not really very heavy. It was just big, right? Oh, and, no, this is an airplane that volumes out way before you gross out. Yeah, right. So so they, they did whatever they did to get the weight right, and then what happened, David? Did you actually see it on TV? Or did they? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I watched it live on television. So what, what, mean, what happened? They had about a 30 – about a 30-second takeoff roll uh, and used maybe 4,000 feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they did 4,000 uh, feet till rotate or till what? To, to rotate. Okay. Uh, they, were, they broke ground at about 4,000 feet, maybe a little less. All right. Uh, the guy got the nose off, held it for half a second, uh, and when the trucks cleared the the gear, main gear trucks cleared the runway. He pitched up another 10 degrees and was out of there. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously got to McConnell without any other event. Well, according to all reports, it left later that night having dropped off what it came here to drop off and was taking on to another destination, something else. And it was weird. Annie and I had just seen one of those puppies on approach to McConnell twice a few days earlier. Uh, two different uh, trips out to do some shopping in East Wichita. We were outside stores when you could see one of those puppies on approach to McConnell. I mean, it's not like you're going to mistake that airplane for anything else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So now, here, it, it, I'm getting now to the, to the crux of the matter here. All right, who flew it out of Jabbar? The same crew? Somebody else. Somebody else, you think? <laughs> you think, huh? Matter of fact, they, they, they could have been gone hours earlier uh, if they would, had been willing to use the crew that yeah. brought it in. Who actually- but they waited on a crew from New York to fly in 
and get shuttled from uh, Mid Continent over really? to Chibara. Uh-huh. So these and poor it, guys are toast. It all up. Who, oh, yeah. who, who's hurts. operating this aircraft? This they're is not hurts. a military. This is—is is this a Boeing thing? Who? Atlas. been called out. Atlas Air. Atlas Air. Jeb, I'm sorry. We keep stepping on you. Go ahead. There are two openings at Atlas Air. <laughs> well, that's my question. I mean, so are these guys really that toast? I mean, that's it. There's no, no zero tolerance. You land at the wrong airplane yeah. once, and oh my god. <laughs> well, yeah. That's, well, remember the movie Pushing Ten had a little thing at the um, at the front of it. Says something like, you know, you can uh, um, control airplanes and land them and take them off and do this for twenty years. You let two of them come together, you never hear the end of. It. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's Gee, that's now, basically, basically what this is. Uh-huh. Professional crews flying one of only four. Uh, 747s that exist in the world aren't supposed to land at the wrong airport. Yeah. Period. It, it so there's enough been... people looking for that seat that they don't have to worry about. Well, it. there is that. David, go ahead. It would have been an easier mistake to explain away if they'd have landed at beach. Longer runway, better lit. But McConnell is this wall of lights that's about two miles long and about three-quarters of a mile wide. Mm-hmm. And the, you can see both runways from miles out in any direction. You can see both the parallel runways. And then you got this huge ramp on the east side that's got 70 or 80 KC-135Rs parked there. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't see that at many airports. Right. So, so obviously – all right. Yes, this is a career-limiting kind of you know thing. All right. <laughs> I like that. All right. Well, I, there, there's jobs available in cloud seating, but as, and banner towing, and yeah, no, no, no. Okay. So clearly, these guys. If there's only four crew or four aircraft in the world that that are like this, I guess it is career-limiting. All right. But as pilots, how much grief do we give these guys for like, oops, I landed on the wrong runway? runway. That Nine wasn't the miles? airport I intended. Yeah, really. Is this a big deal? I mean, I, I don't know what the question is exactly. It's a, it's a big deal um for two it's reasons a big deal yeah. it's a big it's a Jeb. big deal for two reasons one is the equipment they were operating and 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 the um, the visibility it brought to Boeing um uh, and to uh Spirit and uh etc okay that's a big deal um it's a big deal because it it, it Obviously, also affects um, public perception of pilots and how competent they are. Okay. Uh huh. Um, the biggest deal is they didn't get away with it. Okay. They got they got busted big time um, um, in public uh, on the television, all over CNN, all over all the chat rooms, Facebook, you name it. Boom! You can't run and hide from that. Okay, but here's the punchline. This is like landing gear up. Okay, there are <laughs> there are those who have, and there are those who will. Yeah, and I've never landed at the wrong airport before. I've tried to. <laughs> you know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so and and uh, you show me a pilot who's who's got more than a couple hundred hours on their private ticket. And it hasn't flown with an instructor since, you know, whatever. Um, they have at least momentarily 
started to set up to land at the wrong airport. I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. I know. I, ha- guarantee- I know. I have. Yeah, I guarantee it. So, you know, on one level, this is a there but by the grace of God go I thing. Okay. On another level, um, guys, you screwed up. Yeah. And and now you you now you get to you know uh, learn what it's like to have to screw that kind of thing up. I you know I wish it hadn't happened. You wish it hadn't happened, but it did. And um, you know, call me in five years. And it's just their bad luck that they're not a member of the Senate who landed on a closed runway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, one more thing before the break here. Uh, we talked a couple episodes ago about the mysterious Canadian pilot who crashed his airplane in Nashville, died, um, and uh, everyone was trying to figure out he was like he was flying out of uh, Windsor, Ontario, which is right across the river from Detroit, and he was supposed to be on a relatively local flight, and he ended up in Nashville, um, you know, um, having having died in in a crash in the fog and weird story. Is there a follow-up? Which went to- discovered for hours. Yeah, it wasn't discovered for hours. It's just a strange story. Jeb, is there a follow-up on this? You- there is. There was a. Um, there's several news stories floating around out there in the last several days. Um, one of them involves um, how reportedly uh, the the uh, pilot uh, who was killed here. His name is. Uh, um, Michael Callan, I believe. I, I'm, I presume I'm pronouncing pronouncing that correctly. C A L L A N. Michael Callan. Um, supposedly, this guy listed uh, pop singer Taylor Swift I as his next that. of kin in some on some document somehow. I, you know, uh, all and I've you know I have all these email alerts set up for stuff like this. So right. sometimes something like this happens, and I get a I get a pop into my email. Well, my email has been going nuts. For the last three days, yeah, um, f- with Taylor Swift, you know that's that's what apparently got the news here. Okay, so I uh, okay, fine. You know, I you know what I you know, and and I just I, I don't know what happened here, but I can easily imagine. I mean, you know, you fill out these forms; it's part of your flying club, and they ask exactly. you this, you know, exactly. and you put you know, and, and you put you know, Max Headroom, you know, as your as right. your exactly. right, and I and that could well be what happened here. Um, by the way, the interesting part of the story is that the authorities then reached out to Taylor Swift to find out when to, to notify her that this guy and the, and and they got in touch with Taylor Swift's people who said we don't know this guy. What, yeah, you know, know, go away. Um, yeah. So, so so that's one part of the story. What else is new? Well, here's the other thing that they're saying here now. Um, they're saying that, and I'll just read this, the, the first sentence here. Uh, well, I'll read the whole paragraph. Authorities aren't sure how Michael Callan flew undetected, undetected, this is the word being used here, over an international border, comma, why he turned off his transponder, comma, and what caused him to circle the Nashville airport for as long as two and a half hours before attempting to land without coming to the attention of airport authorities. Each of these details has been confirmed by at least two authorities in a position to be familiar with the investigation, although some could not discuss them on the record. Now, this is from um, uh, the Tennessean, I guess, which is perhaps a Nashville area newspaper. Uh, That's kind of interesting. And those are those are details that we didn't have before. Yeah. Okay. The you know crossing the national <laughs> well, we, border. We, what's we, the big we, deal? Go ahead, we asked David. That question. We asked that question when this first broke. Though, is that he got 
he got across the border and nobody noticed. The jet wasn't scrambled. Uh, you know, the guys at Crystal Mountain didn't have him shadowed by somebody. Right. I mean, geez, you break the Washington Adias in a 150 that's not even going over the White House, and you get escorted to someplace remote in Virginia. This guy flies 600, 500 miles, 600 miles, comes across a border where you got to declare. You, I mean, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. I agree. Well, wait, got, wait a minute. Are you being facetious or are you being serious? No, I'm not. I'm I, not. See, I, it, I think it's, it's totally believable. in my brain the incident happened because it's like, gee, many Christmas, you can't come across the southern border by yeah. air without getting your ass shadowed by no. spatial balloons and right. stuff. But the southern uh, border is a different thing, all right? The, the Canadian border is a whole different deal, and I'm totally, I'm totally right. buying. You know, nothing bad ever comes across the Canadian. I, there may or may not be true. The point is it's not watched as carefully, all right? Well, I, mean, I, I talked about this on a podcast before, all right? I've talked yeah. to some friends who live up in the northern part of the U.S., and I ask them about the, the reality, the practical matters of flying across the border, you know, straying across the border if you're going a U.S.-to-U.S. flight, and they all tell me, no big deal. Don't worry about it, you know? I, mean, I worry about it a little bit, but they say, don't worry worry about it i i totally buy that he flew and yeah, windsor is right and he, he was really a taylor swift fan and he was just trying to get in town ahead yeah. of the country music <laughs> association award yeah really was she playing that night in i Nashville? don't know maybe no. we should look into that huh yeah, yeah. but but here's well here's she lives the there yeah so that's that but then the, there's the transponder i'm sorry Jeb. what were you gonna go to next no no go, go ahead go ahead so so then so you know what? I think I personally think flying across the border. I don't, I'm not surprised that he flew across the border without getting noticed. Um, that he flew all the way down to Nashville without getting noticed. Also, no huge deal. All right. It is interesting that he turned off his transponder. How how do they know that? What, what's what's the data well, there, Je- Jeb? That's you know? a very good question because yeah. I wouldn't depend on uh, position of that switch after uh, a crash and a fire mm-hmm. um, as as being uh, conclusive evidence. I would guess what they're basing that on is some lieutenant who was in charge of that airspace at NORAD that night uh, reported to his superiors they never saw a thing. Wink, wink, wink. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Okay. All right. But, Jack, I agree with you that – I don't know. I I forget the exact uh, phraseology you're using about how this is, you know, not a big deal. I agree with you that – it's not a big deal in one sense, but I disagree with you that it's not a big deal in, in a very much larger sense. What's that larger that, sense? That's basically, wait a, wait a fracking minute. Are you telling me that I can get in a 172 in freaking Canada and blow off all the customs, all the flight planning, all the da-da-da-da-da-da-da, go smoking into Nashville of all places, what, three or 400 miles away, and no one notices yeah, that's it's a fracking big deal. You okay? think after, I, after all the crapola, well, especially my my brothers and sisters in the D.C. area have had to put up with. Well, that, yeah, I had to put up with for a while. Okay, and you you hear you know um, people flying from California to freaking Oklahoma get um, um, uh, um, I don't know cavity inspections. If they land, if they fly nonstop and they don't file a flight plan, but this bozo uh, who who is looking for Taylor Swift can fly across an international border and down into what's basically the heartland of this country, and no one notices. Yeah, I, come I, on. I, 
that's, all, that's just freaking all, wrong. No, 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 no. I think it's all, I think it's good innocent. that it's that nobody noticed. I, I, I'm I'm encouraged that we are not that scrutinized yet. All right, that we are not that surveilled yet. That someone can fly from basically Detroit to Nash Nashville. Uh, that, that I'm Jack, I'm not. I don't have a problem with that. That's that's see, that's not the conclusion I, I draw. The conclusion I draw is we are in fact yeah. all, all that surveilled. We are in fact under that kind of scrutiny. But the people doing this in the technology they're using it, are not competent. Well, when you consider how many and, and innocent for American crap. pilots have been accosted at gunpoint, held, illegally searched, held for hours without being charged on site uh, because they flew a flight that somebody thought was hinky. And it's Customs and Border Protection doing this and inter, 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 domestic flights or interstate flights. No, no, no. You come across a border, I'm Customs and Border Protection fodder, but going from Kansas to Indiana, from Kansas to Florida to Oklahoma, I don't care if I'm just going across the line into Arkansas. That's none of CBP's business. Uh, But, hey, stumble across from uh, Windsor, uh, circle Nashville for a couple hours and land way too early for the country concert or way too late. Uh, Oh, Wow, we didn't notice you. Yeah. Anyways. That's just twisted. Right. You know, Jeb, I, I, I hear you, Jeb. And, and we are being highly surveilled. You know, to paraphrase William Gibson, all right, you know, um, we are being universally watched. We are being universally surveilled. It's just not evenly distributed. And I don't disagree. But, you know, I'm, and, I, and I certainly grok that we live in an imperfect world and, and humans run a lot of this and humans are imperfect, so mistakes will be made. But... Um, I I just expected I don't know what it would be a little bit more consistency a little bit more uh, a, a little bit less incompetence perhaps a little bit um, of of uh, you know applying the same rules uh, across the board than I'm seeing and the next time someone gets in my face about something like this this is going to be exhibit A yeah. Okay. Well, it's interesting that we went from kind of like just reviewing the to to a kind of uh, a, a general, uh, uh, you know, anger, aren't we? We're really pissed yeah, off about this. Yeah, I really am. I, yeah. I really am yeah, pissed okay, off. Okay, I hear that. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 and I hear it coming through on, on Dave's voice too. Um, this is not none of this, of course, is anything that we all signed up for. Okay. Um, general aviation aircraft were not involved in nine eleven. General aviation aircraft have been proven time and time again by accident, by testing, by, by uh, uh, someone's commission of a, of a heinous act to not pose a threat uh, to the security of this country or, or uh, um, its institutions. Yet we're still paying a huge price in the Washington, D.C. area especially. Yeah, no, I know. For, I, I... for, for stuff that happened uh, uh, 12 years ago. That has no bearing whatsoever on the kinds of operations involving these aircraft, and to see this kind of nonsense um, occur in what we are reliably told more and more, but I, that I've been told to my face by government officials in in, a, in previous lives, um, makes me berserk. Yeah. Okay, uh, I, that's all I have to say. Yeah. All that nonsense that the, the DC three airports are living through doesn't 
doesn't guarantee nothing. Church. Won't stop nothing. It's all for show. It's security theater at its most expensive. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We here at the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. Thank you. David, so sure. I, we were reminiscing. I, I was waxing, I don't know, poetic's not the right word. I was waxing, uh, waxing reminiscent about uh, the, the, uh, the airport observation deck where I viewed a 747 way back in the day. And now you've called our attention to a story in uh, USA Today about uh, airport observation decks around the world. What's the deal here? Well, you know, USA Today is kind of like the fast food of news and features in in the daily newspaper world. And a recent piece by their column that goes under the heading Fly Guy uh, kind of delivered a collection of some of the most noteworthy airport observation decks that still exist around the world. Hmm, Okay. Yeah, it's a big list. We got it's a, a big list. Amherst, yeah, it's, Amherst, a, it's, a, it's a big list. We yeah. got Atlanta, Georgia. I'm just going to uh, Baltimore. I'm just going to go see if I can touch on the U.S. ones here. Uh, there aren't many U.S. ones here. Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, Grand Rapids, Grand Rapids, like Rapids like uh, Honolulu, Honolulu. There we go. Uh, LAX, Kuala Lumpur. Oh, that's not U.S. Los Angeles, Minneapolis, St. Paul, um, JFK. Uh, but but I'm skipping over a lot. I'm skipping over five for every one. This, this is yeah. a big list. There's this a, a lot of airports here. So so there are airports where you can still get out on the roof and, and, and look down on the ramp. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, not every place has dried it up. Like uh, it started happening here years before 911. But 911 kind of put a coffin in some of the yeah. ones that still existed. Right. Uh, you know, you never know. That guy might pick up the shoulder-fired missile down there at the pawn shop, and the next thing you know, he's shooting down airplanes at the Jeez, airport. Jeez, don't talk like that, David. You know the NSA is listening, You know, right? Uh, right. They, they can bite my shiny metal. Yeah, okay. Uh, All right. <laughs> but this whole thing got me reminiscing about uh, airport observation decks that I'd been to uh, when I was a kid. But then it got me thinking about what a lot of GA airports are doing these days, and that's putting in observation areas yeah, yeah, actually, you're down right. at ground level with, you know, impenetrable fences and all this stuff because, you, you know, you wouldn't want anything bad to happen. You never know. One of those diaper kids might be a terrorist. No, uh, well, you wouldn't a, want someone to you know, like fly a 172 from Canada. Right, right, or uh, a Cherokee into an IRS building or something. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, Peachtree to Cab Airport, for example, mm-hmm. uh, on the north uh, northwest side of uh, Atlanta, uh, uh, three or four years ago, five years ago, they put in a brand-new observation area with benches for people to eat lunch and a playground for the kids. Uh and it's right where you can watch airplanes taxi by and watch them run up at the run-up pad and then turn onto the active and take off uh, to, the, to the north. Uh, and there have been other airports around the country that have done the same thing. Uh, uh, Orlando Exec has got one like that. Uh, I believe Orlando International may actually have one now. Uh, don't hold me to it. Uh, P. 
Peter O'Knight over in Tampa. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's quite a number of them, and a lot of them have come about just in recent years to the efforts of outfits like AOPA and NBAA working with their local airports to show the community that, yes, they can trust curtain climbers and rug rats mm-hmm. to safely observe the airplanes without attacking them. Yeah. Uh, Albert Whitted. Uh, in St. Petersburg, uh, there you go. Not, not far from uh, Peter O'Knight, um, on field has a has a nice restaurant. Looks out on the on the uh, field. Um, you can walk out. To, I believe there's a balcony kind of thing. You can walk out and sit out in the open air and and even be served an alcoholic beverage uh, and, and watch the airplanes come and go. Um, t- two reminiscences, uh, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them dates back to uh, the '60s. Um, where in in, in uh, Marion, Illinois, where I, when I lived up there as a as a tyke, uh, my father would occasionally uh, travel on business, and uh, that was a big deal, of course, back then. And um, all three of us would get in the car and we you know drive up and see Dad off on the, on the uh, on an Ozark Airlines uh, flight oh, out of wow. out of out of Marion, Illinois. Yeah, and it, early on they were operating DC threes. And uh, later on, they were operating uh, Martin 404s and then FH-27s, FH the Fairchild Hiller uh, 27. And then even, I remember them operating DC-9s on that route. But uh, the, uh, uh, the DC-3, of course, is, is the one that brings back the memories. And um, to this day, I remember vividly um, how they would load the airplane, um, the gate agent, you know, maybe standing there with a fire extinguisher or something like that. Once, once both engines were running, uh, he'd put the fire extinguisher away. But he was still standing out there on the ramp near the wingtip, uh, paying attention. And um, and then the, the the cockpit crew would signal, "Okay, we're ready to taxi," and the gate agent would stand erect and salute. Yes. Yep. And the nice. captain would salute back. Nice. And they would, you know, uh, let go of the brakes and start taxiing away. And that was just the coolest thing uh, I had ever seen up to that point. That's very nice. Uh, That's very I hadn't nice. met any girls at that stage, but that was that was the coolest <laughs> thing I had, I had seen up to that point. Now, one one location omitted uh, from this list, mainly because it's not technically uh, part of the airport terminal or airport property. Uh, is I forget the name of it, but it's the I think it's Haynes Point, uh, just north of Washington National. I won't call it that other name. Just north of, of Washington Thank National you. Airport. Um, it's right off the BW Parkway. There's a oh, little, yeah. <clears throat> there's a parking area. Yeah. There's a bunch of grass and and people get out there all day long. Can you still uh, go there? You can still go there. Oh, that's an awesome yeah. spot. I haven't been there in probably 20, 15 years. Yeah. But, in, in, uh, in fact, it was after 9-11. Um, I was on a friend's boat one evening. We were out playing around. Um, there were two, three or four of us in a case of beer, you know, that kind of thing. And um, he's like, well, just bear with me a few minutes. We're going to pull over here um, by uh, uh, Haynes Point. And we're on the boat. The water, of course, you know, surrounds the, the uh, north side of National Airport. And there's a little cutout um, between Haynes Point and the threshold for what is now runway um, um, 18. Okay. And, or 19, I guess it is. I think it's 19 because it's 119. It's, right? yeah, yeah, it's 1 and 19 now. Um, so we got the boat out there and just shut it off and let it drift. And they were doing a south operation that night. And this was close to 
you know, 9 or 10, 11 o'clock at night. I don't remember when. So it, they weren't that busy. But all the arrivals were coming in over our heads. And uh, you'd get an airplane, a 7-3 or an Airbus, uh, come in, you know, landing. We, it wasn't really dangerous because they were well over our heads. Um, but, you know, the the wind, the, the roar, the rush, the noise and all this kind of thing. And the airplane would land and roll out. And it would be, you know, probably turning turning off the runway by this time. And you'd look on the water and the vortices yeah. from the airplane were just about that time hit the water. And the water would just get all all funky and disturbed and everything like that. That's you cool. Could, you could hear the, the wind. You could hear the, the, the air. um the motion in the air as as these vortices settled. Yeah, and that's that very was, cool. Yeah. That was very cool. I used to rent a Hobie cat from an Alexander, a, a, a little yeah. park south of Alexandria, and then sail the Hobie cat up north from when they were doing the North Ops at National, uh-huh. and tack back and forth just off just off to the side of the ILS Rabbit. Mm-hmm. It's I'd never seen that before. We were up there one night. And four of us on this 16-foot Hobie cat, and we're just kind of leisurely cruising around. And DC-9 landed, and he drug it in kind of slow. And about 40 seconds later, there's that dance on the water just past us. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's really amazing vortices yeah. action, guys. I'd never seen anything like it before, and it made the sailboat rock and everything. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's interesting. Oh, but, man, what a cool place to be at Washington National. Washington Airport. National, I know, yeah. Um, and I actually had almost identical experience, Jeb, well, to both of yours, but Jeb, mine was in the same area, too, because I, I stood in that park mm-hmm. a couple of different times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and you stand in the park, and you can watch the airplanes coming down on that appro- uh, Potomac approach, right, where they're following the river, mm-hmm. and they make a kind of somewhat dramatic turn, um, you know, sort of on, on long final. That's when they're intercepting the localizer. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's when they're getting on. Oh, right. That's when they're getting on the center line, and then they come in right over that park, pretty low, uh, and uh, and very loud. And just as Jeb describes, you were you were further along apparently on the water, and they go over your head and they touch down, and 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 as the sound is diminishing, you know, the kind of roar has has faded. Mm-hmm. It's just about that time that you can actually, if if it's quiet enough, you can hear the yeah. the. It's, and 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 if you and if the light's right, you can see the little dust devils on the on uh-huh. the ground, right? As the uh, the vortices did. It's a, yeah, it's a if cool you do if you if you're doing it right, the sound that I remember is like um, ripping fabric. Oh, I never heard that. It was more of a whooshing for me. But yeah, uh, well, you get both because um, um, depending on where you are, I guess, in relation to the vortices. But I've I've heard both. You hear the ripping sound. And you hear the just the whoosh, and it, it's it's really an incredible thing. Pretty cool, pretty cool. Yeah. Anyways, uh, somebody some uh, thinks money can't buy. I know. Uh, I think it was you, David, who called our attention to this list, uh, this uh, gallery of pictures. Right? This is uh, oh, from Hanaweed. Uh, is that what it was from? Yeah, from some sort the of Hanaweed old timers fly in. Hanaweed. Yeah. So yeah, it's a. Uh, um, this is uh, these are pictures that are posted into a forum, um, airshows.co.uk forums. Uh, Hanaweed old time fly old timers fly in and air show, uh, August 2013, 2013. Uh, reading a couple lines from the post that that uh, that uh, um, leads into these pictures. Hanaweed Airfield is a grass strip that nestles beside a range of hills and the town of 
Kirsham, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, Kirsham Untertek, is that the whole name of the town? Uh, yeah. Only 13 kilometers from Stuttgart Airport. Um, the activity there is mostly gliding, but once every two years, they have a fly-in and air show, which takes place from Friday through Sunday. Over 300 aircraft, mainly, mainly older types, were due to land, though a few for display ac- aircraft had used Stuttgart Airport. Um, the posting goes on. Um, but there's a whole bunch of really cool, very, very pretty pictures of airplanes yeah, here. These are, I, don't know, I don't know who did this or where he was when he took them. But Yeah, uh, and, and I actually nice. highlighted a, a sentence from his post here. Um, he says, he writes, The area is quite picturesque, particularly at the preferred landing end, where a hill rises right opposite the threshold inside cool. the airport. Uh, the airfield. You can look down on the aircraft. Not only that, but the area on approach to land slopes away before the threshold in a valley that rises up again to high hills. It's a very, very picturesque angle. And uh, and uh, yeah, a lot of them look like air to air. Yeah, they really do. That's yeah. this is what makes them very special. It's not an airplane against the sky. It's an airplane against the ground. And uh, I, I apologize to the listeners of this audio podcast for talking about these pictures, um, but there'll be a link someplace for you to go and find them. And there's just a lot of beautiful pictures of really beautiful, are. of beautiful airplanes. Um, and even David, you said in the note here that you couldn't recognize some of these airplanes. So this is uh, oh, there's a bunch in there I don't like. There's Probably a dozen Antonov AN2s. Yeah, I saw those. Even the, I the recognize those. I, yeah. You know that that one was easy, but uh, there's some German designs, World War II era, mm-hmm. that are not fighters. They look like utility airplanes or, or passenger airplanes of some kind. I look at them and go, "Don't have a clue." Yeah. yeah. Well, now let's. I wonder if we can do the trick where we put the uh, tail number into uh, into Google. Here's a, uh, well, one of these is is OKDAJ. Yeah, you keep talking. Yeah, that's things. a that's a De Havilland. I don't know what model. I uh, think that, that's a Dove. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Well, I wouldn't, but if I were you, but yeah. I think those are De Havilland Doves. Uh, but uh, like, there's a, uh, a what was it? A C one. C one nineteen box car uh-huh. flying box car. I'm not sure that's a one nineteen. I'm not uh-huh. either. Which picture yeah. is that now? You got to help it's me here. Towards the top, um, it's the twin boom cargo plane. It says yeah. 1956 on the side. Yeah, high wing gear retracts into it's the towards uh, the top. The it's like maybe ten or twelve down. No, it's not even that far down. It's the third one down. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm, fourth, I'm, fourth. Oh, I see it. There it is. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's a cool airplane. Yeah. What do you think yeah. that is? Well, it reminds me of a C-119 right. uh, flying boxcar, but that whole tail end of that fuselage opens up to carry cargo, or it does on some versions, uh, and that's what this reminds me of, but I'm not sure it's a 119. I'm not sure it's a 119 either. I'm not even sure it's it's uh, Fairchild um, or, or American manufacturer. It's got a French registration. I'm zooming in here. It's got a French registration on it. Um, it might be... Um, something that was indeed French or British manufacture mm-hmm. uh, back in back in the post-war period. If if all these pictures are from this one fly-in, this is an amazing yeah, fly-in. This is, yeah, they yeah. are. They are. They're all because from- this is just an incre- not only an incredible variety of airplanes, but there's three or four models that are very unique to my eye. That yeah. there's more than one of them. All right. That's yeah. A, this is the thing that yeah. amazed me. All right. Is that is that you, you scroll through these pictures and you go, well, that's an interesting airplane, and then you go to the next picture and you say, oh, there's another. Wait a minute. That's a different paint job. That's a different version. That's a different edition of the same airplane. And uh, 
I think um, there's a Yonkers in here from World War II. Uh, some American hardware, fighter aircraft. Uh, boy, a whole bunch of AN-2s. Yeah, I yeah, saw a bunch that. of AN-2s. Even, even some World War, there's a Fokker triplane in here. Yeah, there was, uh, yeah, I did see the Fokker. Yeah, there was a Fokker. It's in a two-shot, two-aircraft shot of uh, another uh, World War I, I era. I, think that's I don't a, think that's I think, a Fokker triplane. I think that's a Yonkers. That's a low wing airplane. You're not looking at the right one. It's sorry. yeah, it's about two thirds of the way down, according to my slider bar. It's a two two airplane shot, uh, a red Fokker triplane. It looks like a a, a Fokker D seven um, flying with it. There you go. Click that link. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, the same one. Yeah, yeah that's that's the one. Yeah, David. Oh, those Fokers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we have an episode. I think title. we have an episode title right there. <laughs> well, one of one of them looks like a D seven. The other one looks like the. Uh, uh, it's a triplane. Yeah. A triplane. Yeah. 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 Uh, and yeah. actually, looks like it's got a uh, fixed round engine, so maybe yeah, a replica. That's a, that's a There's a, a local pilot here in Wichita that built a replica of the triplane. And he's got a Continental 225 uh, in it because uh, he couldn't get the original. The original was an actual rotary okay, engine. Well, yeah. well, if you if you find that image in the uh, in the in the original list, there's one right above it that is of five Yunker 52s. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Flying in a loose formation, and that's I didn't even know there were five of those airworthy. I didn't either. I knew there were three or four. Yeah. Because uh, one of them belongs to uh, Rudy Frasca. He brings it to mm-hmm. Oshkosh periodically. Mm-hmm. I just sent you guys a link to one of the pictures. It's just an amazing show. I just sent you a, a link to one of the pictures here. If you can open that link. This is the that's, earth. That's what is the, this? That's the de Havilland. I, we, we think that's a de Havilland dove. Let's, let's see if we can find it. Okay. Why don't you look that one up? And there was another one here I was particularly fascinated by. No, so, it's not a dove. There that, are doves in this series of pictures. So this is That's not the one I thought was a dove. Though. Now, That's now just so dove. you know, so for, for the folks who aren't able to look at the pictures, I apologize. So we've got a, a low-wing twin-engine aircraft, um, a tail dragger, uh, and and the fuselage is sort of teardrop shaped almost uh, with the uh, with the fat part of the teardrop at the front and a big canopy um, over the uh, cockpit and uh, it's uh, it's an, and, and the wow. uh, and the, the tail hell? is uh, yeah. the horizontal stabilizer is sort of mid height of the uh, of the vertical so uh, it's an interest. So do you think you have an idea what it is? Did you find anything that's you say it's not a de Havilland dove? It's not a dove. Uh, it's not a dove. Um... Wow, look at that Ryan. Yeah, I know. That a 17? There's a Swift in there that's polished to the The Swift is pretty pretty. Yeah, I recognize that one. And Um, uh, let's see. It's a a Tiger Moth, a Booker Youngman. There's a lot of beautiful airplanes. Folks, you've got to go and find this list and just kind of spend some time looking at this list. There's one here that just blows me away, though. It's got Swiss markings on it, but a Canadian registration. Let's see. Well, I'm not sure. No, it's not. It's HB. That'd be Switzerland. Yeah. But it's, I believe, some kind of turboprop because it's that's, got more engine cal than, than fuselage. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, uh, yeah, that's an interesting airplane. Um, low wing uh, tail dragger. 
very, very sleek, um, um, a low-profile fuselage. Triple uh, tail. Triple tail. Yeah, triple tail. Uh, is it retractable? I guess it probably yeah, it is. Yeah, it is yeah. retractable. Um, and the and the cockpit kind of the 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 the, uh, the canopy kind of sticks up from the fuselage a bit. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, it looks uh, like a two place. And and the uh, the the front end of the airplane kind of starts to narrow out. You think it's a t- turbo prop? Actually, yeah. it, look, it looks kind of like a three place to me. It could be. Could be you know, three. Three, one could, behind the other behind yeah, the other. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Okay. And the cow reminds me of a Rolls-Royce Dart cow. That's an old turboprop. They whine like a bag of cats. Whoa, what a pretty P-38. What an amazing collection of photographs. Yeah, it's really amazing. It and, really uh, is. Listeners, uh, we apologize for just kind of like being quiet and staring here. But this, this is a great collection. <laughs> um we will obviously put a link in the uh, show notes to this uh, to this uh, collection of pictures. You just got to like spend some time looking at these. They're pretty beautiful. Hey, let me drag you away from the pictures and say this. Shout outs. What's going on? I'll, I'll, I guess I'll go first. What do we got here? You go uh, first. I'll go first. Um, just a couple of little things I want to call attention to because I think they merit, um, um, you know, sort of a, of a, of a, an attaboy, a pat on the back kind of thing. Um, the first is we, we always we're, – we're quick to criticize FBOs for doing a poor job of marketing um, aviation and flight training. And so I think it's only fair that when we see some good ones, we call attention to it. Um, there's a flight school here in the greater Boston area at Plymouth Airport, which is south of uh, – of Boston, uh, it is the same Plymouth that's famous for the uh, Mayflower and the Pilgrims and the whole thing. Um, Plymouth Plymouth Flight School lands a plane inside Hanover Mall, and what they've done here is, uh, as we get into the heavy-duty shopping season, where a lot of people are going to be visiting the mall, um, this flight school has uh, arranged to put a C-152 uh, or a 150 actually uh, on display in the mall uh, on a, on a platform um, to get people excited about flying, uh, and uh, I think that's great. I think that's excellent to get this kind of um, uh, you know, classic airplane on display, and uh, uh, the Hanover Mall has an unusual Christmas decoration this year, a Cessna 150 airplane. The full-size two-seat airplane was installed this week as part of a holiday promotion by Pilgrim Aviation, a Plymouth-based flight school, which encourages Hanover shoppers to, quote, to give, quote, the gift of flight as a holiday present. And so credit where credit is due. Yeah, Pilgrim absolutely. Aviation, uh, good idea. And uh, yeah. uh, hopefully it will, uh, it will generate some interest in, uh, in initial flight training. So that's uh, just a quick shout-out to uh, Pilgrim Aviation. Uh, another aviation business that I want to give a kind of pat on the back to is uh, another greater uh, New England uh, uh, business. Uh, this is out of, uh, out of P- a former Pease Air Force Base. We still call it Pease Air Force Base, but it's now, uh, what do they call it now? They call it something. Pease Inter- well, they call it Pease International Airport, really? Okay, they're calling it Pease International Airport. Um, it's... Uh, um, Part of the uh, big uh, Pease uh, trade port, they've done a really good job of repurposing this military base to make it into a big uh, industrial and business area. And uh, the airport continues to to uh, operate. And now um, a uh, helicopter tour and training operation is set up there. And so I just want anybody who's up here in the uh, in the New Hampshire seacoast area and is looking for either helicopter training or a, a sightseeing tour, you might want to stop by uh, Seacoast Helicopters. Uh, an operation at Plymouth at Portsmouth International Airport at Pease, and so that's kind of cool. I, uh, you know, good for them, good for them. What else, David? I hear you. 
making noises. Yeah, I've got one uh, involving a, an, an old good friend of, uh, of ours, of mine, uh, Bonnie Johnson. Uh, Bonnie's the widow of another friend of ours uh, uh, who built his own biplane and a bunch of other stuff. Anyway, Bonnie's a uh, flight instructor. She used to run the wind tunnel operation at Wichita State University's uh, National Institute of Aviation Research. And uh, since her husband died, she's relocated. She's moved up to northern Kansas where she's a uh, high school teacher now. And she's put together a one-person show uh, as a historical performer portraying uh, a Kansas aviatrix named Louise Thadden. That Louise Thadden probably not as famous uh, to, for a lot of people as, uh, oh, what's that woman's name? It didn't quite make it around the world. Uh, oh, yeah. It was, um, um, it was in all the papers. A- uh, Amy? What was her name? Amy? Annie? What was, Earhart. That's it. That's Amelia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You guys had me going. I'm thinking, what the heck are they talking about? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. Well, Louise Stadden, uh, she started flying in air races in the 20s. Uh, she used to fly, fly a, a, a Jenny and, and, and was a barnstormer. Uh, she uh, moved on to uh, be quite an accomplished uh, female aviator. She set the woman's altitude record in 1928. Flying up to twenty thousand two hundred sixty feet, uh, she set some records in racing uh, and uh, and speed records. Uh, at one point, uh, clocking one hundred and fifty six miles an hour and setting a uh, a speed record for, I think, uh, just women flying. Uh, but that was pretty close to the absolute record for its time. That was 1929. So uh, she set some endurance records. And my old friend Bonnie Johnson now is uh, campaigning a one-person show. Uh, she'd call it a historical performance. Uh, and uh, telling the world about Louise Sadden's life, uh, Kansas native. Uh, she was better known than uh, Amelia until Amelia started to really work at setting records and flying around the world. Of course, nobody's better known than that person that has never been found, but Louise went on to uh, to have a life and uh, left a real mark for other woman aviators to follow and a lot of male aviators, too. Mm. So Very cool. Yeah, very cool. Congratulations to Bonnie. Yeah. Hey, Jeb, you found uh, a reference I, to this airplane. I, I found this airplane, yeah. Um, Google has is amazing sometimes. Yeah. It is a private arrow, AE-145 super arrow. Yeah. So just so people know, we talked about a lot of airplanes. Is, yeah, arrow is spelled like an aerodynamic. Arrow, yeah, right. So th- just so people know, we, we talked about a lot of different airplanes. This is the uh, low-wing twin-engine um, teardrop-shaped fuselage that I yeah. referred oh, to. Oscar kinda, Kilo Delta Alpha Juliet. That's the uh-huh. one, all right, uh-huh. an AE-145 Super Arrow. There's actually a Wikipedia page. describes it as a uh, twin-piston 
engine civil utility aircraft produced in Czechoslovakia after World ah, War II. And there are other pictures of it. Uh, yeah, that. and uh, uh, development began in 1946, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's that's what that airplane is all about. It's hmm. a, it's it's unique. It's kind of an interesting-looking airplane. It, it's interesting. It? I thought it was a de Havilland because it looked so much like you know a it, Comet or something. It does. Um, it, it really does, but... Uh, um, that's that's I don't know it, I don't know how capable it is or, or how well it performs or anything like that. It's just an interesting looking airplane. It's got a lot of greenhouse to it. Um, um, just never seen one before. So yeah. there you go. Very it looks cool. like it's got inline four cylinder engines. Exactly. In it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of cool. Kind of cool. Uh, we forget how how space efficient form factor uh, wise uh, inline engines are, but they can be yes. pretty slick. Guess the the manufacturers. Uh, guess who manufactured the engines? I don't know who. According to Wikipedia, Walter, being Czechoslovak. Ah, yeah, yeah. And they were still making that engine into the nineties. Yeah, looks like it. Well, it's, it's an it's an air cooled inline four, so I don't know if they're still making it in the forties or not. Well, uh, well, there was a Czech built uh, motor glider imported it here in the states for a while called the Vivat. That used an inline four Walter uh, engine. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Huh. So you still get parts. Any other shout outs? Jeb, you got one? No, I'm going to pass today. All right. I, got, I do have one more I want to jump in here with. Um, and so this is a little premature, but, I, but I, I'm confident that I'm right. Okay. And this is, uh, I haven't actually listened to this or watched this yet, um, but I have no doubt that it's awesome. Our pal Steve Tupper. Uh, has uh, has now completed a series of three episodes of the Airspeed podcast um, that cover the subject. So, in in over the past year, Steve has gotten involved in in air. He always has loved air shows, and uh, and he actually managed to get himself a gig as an air show pilot um, as as one of a team of a formation flight, uh, the Tuskegee uh, uh, air show. Uh, it's a glider operation, and uh, um, and. And as it's being Steve, um, he not only did the task, but he recorded it every which way. He uh, made notes, and he recorded audio, and he recorded video, and he's packaged this up as a a, a three-part sort of mega episode of Airspeed that he has just now finished posting to his feed. And uh, I I have no doubt that this is awesome, and I'm looking forward to setting some time aside so that I can go and 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 listen to it all and 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 watch it all. Um, and if you're at all interested, go to uh, airspeed.com. Uh, airspeedonline.com is the uh, is the website, and check out St- Steve Tupper's T- Steve Tupper's Tuskegee Three uh, uh, series. It's uh, cool stuff, yeah, yeah, and hopefully he's done with this. He can get back on um, the acro camp thing again. Mm-hmm, Come on, because you know, mm-hmm. we're waiting for that too. Mm-hmm. So that's whisper. It. Yeah, just gently whisper that. Yeah, just, just shh, Steve, Steve. Yeah. We're hey, waiting. Steve. We're yeah. waiting. Okay. <laughs> Time to stick a fork in this one. I think. Ouch. Dave, Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, what have you been working on? Anything fun? Uh, actually, been kind of working on some government work for the last week or so. Uh, I hate and, it when uh, that happens. Yeah, yeah, with low low hopes of having it done by the new year. So, uh, uh, nothing that I haven't talked about in the last couple of episodes. Okay. Cool. So you'll just have to wait till next time. But where can people find you <laughs> on the internet in general? 
Oh, avbuyer.com uh, for my work with World Aircraft Sales Magazine, aea.net uh, uh, for avionics news uh, or uh, just you know, throw a dart at the donkey and uh, do a Google search and who knows what you might come up with. Okay. A dart at the donkey? A dart at the donkey. See, we've already got a title, so we don't need that, but you never know, right? Oh. Save it for the next time. Yeah. Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What have you been working on, Jeb? Not a whole lot that's aviation-oriented. Um, I do have a couple of things I'm trying to finish up for uh, AEA and, and Avionics News. Um, Knockwood, they'll get finished this week before the holiday. Um, and um, working behind the scenes with all my contributors for the January issue of Aviation Safety. And uh, um, as of uh, this afternoon, I have all of my stuff uh, in one place. And uh, we'll get cranking on that uh, later this week. Cool. So, cool. yeah, looking forward to that. And where can people find you on the Internet in general? In general, jeburnside.com, uh, net, aviationsafetymagazine.com, and the Facebook and the Twitter machines. Yeah. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can check out my latest Kindle eBooks, uh, uh, The Around the Field, uh, Volume 0, 1, and 2, uh, stories about the people, places, and planes of the Oshkosh Flying. You can read them on your Kindle device or with the Kindle Reader software on your iPad or other tablet or laptop or desktop computer, or you name it, you can find it. Uh, information about all of my Kindle ebooks at Amazon.com slash author slash Jack Hodgson. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson. Uh, you can uh, sign up for my email newsletter uh, by going to the uh, subscription link that you can find at either JackHodgson.com or AroundTheField.net. And a big thanks to Jeff Ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums. Uh, don't forget to check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. And you can see who's doing what on the new ratings webpage of fame and much, much more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, is there something you were going to tell us? Yeah, there's only really one great way to live to a ripe old age, and that's go fly because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. AMF. <laughs> <laughs>